first time in was it 99 or 2000. And that's the first time I ever heard of Lucky Charms. Oh, and really? people kept saying to me, oh, people are trying to steal your Lucky Charms. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? What are they on about? You know? I had no idea. And then I was in a supermarket and I saw that and I was like, are they talking about that? And then, and then, I, then, I, saw the, then I saw the advert and I was like, those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Did funny. they try and make you say it? Oh, man. Oh, they kept saying, that's, that's what they were initially saying. Oh, go on, say it. Say the Lucky Charms. And I was like, Oh, me lucky charms, and they were falling around. Yeah. Like, what, what is this from? I didn't, I didn't know the reference at all. But um, then no I had shit. to, I had to buy them, had to try them. They and how are they? They're delicious. They're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They are magically yeah. delicious. Now, now I know why they are trying to steal my lucky charms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Dolce Show. In studio today, we have none other than Coach John Cavanaugh. I'm going to say it, legendary mixed martial arts coach, because, sir, you are, humble as you are, I'm going to put it all out there. Uh, coach Cavanaugh is one of the top coaches in all of mixed martial arts, and you can actually put him in the pedigree in all of professional sports based upon the pedigree of athletes that have actually come through his system. You are actually, you have a stable of elite athletes, stable of professionals competing inside the, the UFC, which is the number one organization in the world, but also in other very large national shows, you know, over in UK, Europe, and, and you can school us on elsewhere. Um, everyone knows uh, one of your uh, top students, which is Mr. Conor McGregor, the reigning UFC uh, featherweight champion of the world and pound for pound, in my opinion, one of the top fighters on the planet based upon his own body of work and someone that you've actually helped build organically. Conor didn't come to you as a reigning world champion. He came to you as just a, a young man, you know, looking to put hands on people, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, that, that was definitely his favorite thing to do. <laughs> Every day wanted to be sparring day. <laughs> of course. And uh, so if you could, I mean, just a little bit of, of background, John. Now, you're also a part of the Straight Blast gym chain, which I'm familiar with from my years with Robert Follis and Team Quest, Portland, Oregon, back in 04. Um, I became familiar with Matt Thornton and Straight Blast Gym, probably one of the, I mean, one of the luminary um, gym chains in the world. Now, you have franchises over and you know give us a little bit lineage background on your your whole yeah evolution. so um I, when i saw ufc one which was 20 years ago now i was 19 i'm 39 now um i started playing around and, and you know then there was no youtube or google or anything like that so anytime i saw seminars with a with a, a brazilian sounding name uh teaching at it, i was going to go to it and see if i could learn some of those secrets um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of just bouncing around, and it was—I I suppose it was, it was almost a benefit that I was in in, a, in Dublin and Ireland because when I went to the UK, I could train with any club. Whereas even back then, the clubs were starting to become a little bit segregated. If you were from one particular lineage, you'd only train with them. Whereas I was this uh, this this Dublin kid, and I, I kind of had the free reign of jumping between them all. Um, so that that was that was actually a benefit at the start. I was able to train with everybody. Um, <clears throat> How I came across Matt Thornton was I actually fought in South Africa in, uh, I think it was 2001, and actually Forrest Griffin was the main event on that card. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and another SBG guy, Rory Singer, that fought. Uh, sure, I know Rory. Years. Yeah, okay. So I was, on the, I was on that card, and Matt Thornton actually cornered my opponent wow. on the night, and uh, so I fought then, and I lost badly. Um, but I got to meet Matt afterwards, and... Th 
although I train with a lot of really good jiu-jitsu guys and MMA guys in the lead up, their approach to training, it didn't really set a fire in me. It was like, okay, they showed some good techniques, but they never really, it didn't seem to be a very good system in place for training. Uh, I'm from an engineering background, so I, I kind of like structure and I like knowing what I'm doing and, and, what, and why I'm doing things as well. Rather than, I, I, I was never really a, fa- a fan of, if someone asks me a question, I don't like just giving the answer. I like them to know why that's the answer, because I don't think you'll remember something if it's just given to you. But if you understand it, you can't forget it. It just makes sense then. And that was what I saw, seen very, very different between Matt's approach and any approach I'd seen until then, yeah. till that date. So we, we, we kind of we struck up a friendship, and the following year he came out to Dublin, so 2002. And um, yeah, since then, close friends. And, and back then it was just a handshake. Oh, do you want to be SPG Ireland? Yeah, yeah I'd like to be SPG Ireland. At, at that stage, I didn't have a name. It was just me and a group of guys just rolling around and trying to figure things out. And with him being involved, there was a little bit more structure there. But I think at that time, maybe there was the Portland gym, uh, the headquarters. Um, I'm not even sure if there was any other SPGs around. Actually, no, I think there was one in South Africa as well. That's why he was actually there. Um, And there might have been one or two others. But it was a very small operation then. And uh, so kind of informally, I became SPG Ireland in 2002. And here we are 14 years later. (laughs) Still running the gym. Still, I'm still there. Yeah, still SPG Ireland. And have you moved locations? How big big did you start? Let's talk about those early days. And now look at you. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting because if you've met Matt, you know, he's not a small man. Big dude. He's about uh, 6'8", 6'9". And and, uh, I won't say his weight because he can still still crush me, but he, he fills that frame. And my first gym, large inverted commas there, um, that Matt came and visited me was about 400 square feet. It's just not, not much wow. bigger than the room we're in. So when Matt walked in, he kind of took up half it. And uh, so from, from those beginnings um, to now where I'm in a 9,000 square foot unit and, and we've just opened up a 15,000 square foot unit about 20 minutes from there, um, it's, it's, it been a, it's been quite a ride, all right. Wow. Um, 20,000 square foot unit. Uh, so mine is nine, nine, and then the one uh, Paddy Hulahan now is involved with in, in SPG Tala is fifteen thousand. Jesus! So you know, bet- between the two of them, are, we're nearly twenty-five thousand square feet, and from four hundred square feet, which is yeah. an amazing growth in relatively a short period of time. I mean, we're saying it's fourteen years, which is a long time in life, but in business to have that type of growth. And also to have an international footprint now, too. You went from being a small 400-square-foot gym in Dublin, might not even have been well-known in your own city, to now you can go on any continent in the world and people are going to be familiar with John Cavanaugh's Straight Blast Gym. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I've even heard now that people walk into the Portland gym and they come up to Matt and go, oh, wow, this is in America, too. <laughs> I'm sure he has a wry smile about that one. Yeah, yeah, we have it here, too. You got know? a little thing going on. <laughs> That's funny. Now, um, jiu-jitsu. What, are you a black belt in jiu-jitsu? Yes, sir. You are. And when did you achieve your black belt? Who was it under? Yeah, so Matt, I got all my belts under Matt. Um, I got my black belt. Let me Let me see now. Is it? Eight years ago now. Wow. Wow. God, I'm, I'm old. Uh, so eight years Seasoned. ago. Seasoned. Yeah. Seasoned. <laughs> He's nice. Yeah, I'm going to steal that one. There you go. Um, yeah, so I think I'm due my 
third stripe next year. And wow. You get, get it every three years. Just got to stay alive, and then you keep getting more stripes. Yeah. That, that's a good thing. Open the black belt. You got you know, to whoop ass to get, to get it, your black belt. Then after that, stay alive. And <laughs> the straight blast system, it's not easy. No, no, it's, we're pretty protective of the belts, and you know, the, the, it means a lot to me personally. Of, of all the martial arts, I, I really enjoy them all. I'm very lucky. I get to train with very high level guys in, in mixed martial arts and boxing and wrestling. Uh, but for me personally, there, there's something special about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and it, it's uh, I want to keep true to that sure. process. And certainly, when I was when when I was getting my blue belt and purple belt back then, you had to you know Matt would make us do fights, you know, do actual fights to see yeah. can you use your techniques in, in very stressful environments. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, there's something I think almost beautiful about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in, in, in its use of in its use of leverage and and, and position uh, over over strength and speed. So it's it's very special to me. And last week we actually had. Dwayne Bang Ludwig on the show. And we had an interesting conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the difference between a martial artist and a fighter or a professional fighter. And how do you differentiate you, like Dwayne, strike me more of a martial artist? Yeah. That happens to train professional fighters and you have that skill set also. Not every coach does have that. And not every fighter has the martial arts background respect or mentality what are your thoughts on that i'll, I'll steal one of your phrases that uh a martial arts is is not a is not a diet it's a lifestyle there you know? we so go I, I i would think it's a lifestyle that i think if you're a professional fighter i think it's very important to remember why you're doing it and it's to make money and it, to not get emotional about that, that yeah. that's what it's about um it's great to chase the toughest fights and, and, and to win the championships and all that. But if, if I'm as a coach and I'm seeing a guy and he's not making money at this, but he's taking uh, punishment and he's not really going anywhere, I think it's my, my duty to point that out. To, I have to be able to bring him into a, into a closed room and sit him down and say, listen, let, let's think about an extra strategy here. Let's, maybe your skills can be used in a different area. Because there is, it, it's a dangerous sport, yeah. and, and I don't shy away from saying that. Uh, mixed martial arts played at the highest level uh, with full contact is a dangerous sport, so you should only be doing that if there is money involved in it. Um, martial arts training, where we put on the bigger gloves and we lower the contact, and we're trying to certainly improve fighting skills, but, but really try to improve ourselves as a person, because... I, I do think for, for young males to constantly have their ego in check is a very healthy thing to do. Um, you know, you, you, you can be, I don't care what area of MMA you're a specialist in, I can bring in somebody who's fantastic in an area you're weak and they can toy with you. You know, and there's, there's loads of jiu-jitsu stories of that. You get the 50-year-old the master coming in and he can just crush people. I, I know I've certainly experienced that many, many times. And, uh, you know, you look at these videos of, of, of old, old-time boxers coming in and just playing with playing with guys in that area. So whatever range you're a specialist in, there's certainly someone who can come in and tool you in another range, so, which is very exciting from a learning uh, point of view. But from an ego point of view, I think that's, that's a very, very healthy thing for, for young males to experience, to, to have that put in check. Um, so if you lower the contact level and you put on more protection, you can spar boxing, kickboxing, MMA for a long, long time. You look at the, you go to the Thai camps uh, in Thailand and you'll see them tip-tapping each other because they know they're fighting the weekend for money. Yeah. And they're not going to bang each other up in the gym because there's, there's nothing to gain from that. They want to work on their timing and their technique and, and feel comfortable in the ring. 
but they actually they're fighting for money on Saturday night. But that idea of tip tapping in the ring and and learning from that and, and having an enjoyable experience and for a lot of people, um, even if it's even if it's just to keep in physical shape, not not everybody has the discipline. And I will include myself in that category of 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 doing cardio every day or, or pushing themselves. Whereas I will roll every day with anybody. It's that's that's a drug to me. I'll I'll pay to do that. It's, it's such a it's such a it's such a buzz. So that keeps me in relatively decent physical condition, which I don't want to tell you has a massive knock on effect to my mental state. Sure. Um, I know I've I've had trouble with my neck in the past, and I've been off the mat for three months, four months, five months at a time. And I'm not. I'm not going to be your friend. Then you're not. You're not going to be. Hey, let's let's call John and go out this weekend. You know, I just I go through dark times, and you you're, you're picking fights with people around you, and you you know you're having trouble with your girlfriend, and everything. And then my neck comes into condition again, where I can roll at a decent level almost every day, and suddenly I'm I'm everybody's friend again. So there is a direct correlation, I think, between physical condition and, and mental condition. Um, I guess I'm going a very long way around of saying that the, I, I believe the martial arts lifestyle is lower the contact. We don't want to be damaging the body, but let's get the benefits that are there from having been involved in a sport that has reality checks, that it's not just compliance, that we, there needs to be resistance. There needs to be, you need to be caught in an arm bar and say, well, you caught me, or we need to be out angled and, and kicked to the body or punched and seeing, you know, he got me in that one. That, that, it's with a smile on your face that, yeah. you know, I like Joe Rogan's thing that basically a tap out is saying, you killed me there. We're playing a game of who kills who. You take my back and choke me and I tap. If you decided not to let go, that, that's that's death. Yeah. So there's a massive amount of trust required from both ways. Uh, and like I said, um, it, it, for a, a fit male that really thinks they're it and suddenly someone has your back and chokes you, that's like, oh. Okay, that's that, that. That's you know, I know where I am on the pecking order now a little bit. Yeah, it's. I, I agree, and I think that's a great explanation of the difference. There's a, a humbling aspect to martial arts when done well, where when it's you're just a professional fighter, it's it's more. There's more ego on the line. It's all just wins yeah. and losses. Yeah, you know, like a funny story with that. Like just this weekend, uh, I'm doing jujitsu twenty years now, and a friend of mine, two two friends of mine were in town. Um, uh, Steve Whittier and, and Travis Davis, and they're, they're both an SPG organization, and uh, they're much much older than me now. They're they're definitely in their forties now. I think I think Steve's in his fifties at this stage. <laughs> but what was funny was we were we were we were downstairs at uh, we had like a cabana and we're kind of chilling out and in the water and we start talking jujitsu as we always do. Sure, and the walk away shaking their heads. Within five minutes, we were up in the hotel room, full locking each other because we were talking about this technique that we couldn't do on the. <laughs> there was no space. We were like, "All right, let's go to the hotel room." And then I just kind of smiled at us and I was like, "Look at us! What are we doing? We're we're doing this for twenty odd years. We have a few days where we don't have to do it, and we spend that time doing it." You there know. You go. And um, you know, I, I would love to think that that's the same in, in, in every activity, and uh, that if you find something that that really grabs you by the neck, that you have no choice. Some, some, some kids write to me and say, hey, you know, you found your passion. How do I know when I find my passion? It will grab you by the neck. That's how you'll know you found your passion. Yeah. You can do nothing else but it. You know, the fact that I can, I can provide um, is, is a massive benefit, but it's not my motivation. It's not what drove me to do it. Uh, I could have earned a hell of a lot more money. I, I know some of my friends I graduate in engineering. They're, they're almost laughing at me. <laughs> you know, they're where they are financially, but uh, for me, physically, every day I, I'm doing an activity that... 
it gives me so, so much back. It's 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 brilliant. Now, being a, a fighter, going through a fight career, and you know, leveling up in the belt system, did you always have your eye on coaching? Is that something you always knew you wanted to do deep down? I, I was one hundred percent always the coach. I was always the coach, and then I did some competitions. So as a coach, you competed a little. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've I've boxed, I've kickboxed, I've, I wrestled, I did ju- judo tournaments, jiu-jitsu tournaments, MMA fights. I did them all because, for me, and I always stress this, for me, I wanted to have experienced it. I I can rattle off a lot of coaches that are far far superior to me that have not competed, and it's just different for everybody. Yeah, it's just different for everybody. Um, but like I said, for me, I wanted to feel each one of them, and um, I had. Okay, success. Uh, looking back at it, I did okay competitively, but definitely I was the one that had the keys to the unit. I was the one paying the lease. I was the one setting out the training sessions. Uh, Matt always has the his story about meeting me for the first time when I fought on the undercar of Forrest Griffin was. I walked out to the ca- uh, ring on my own, carrying my own bucket. <laughs> and he, wow. had, he looked at me coming and went, oh, here's a crazy Irish guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I cornered myself in a fight. Um, so I, I was definitely always the, always the guy, always the coach. And um, I was just lucky that I had the opportunity to compete a few times as well. But I, I, was, in my head, I was, I was always coaching. Yeah, okay, wow. The experience of having gone through the training and gone through the fighting and making that walk to the octagon, if you will... A lot of coaches, they miss that. They don't have that. And how do you feel that experience has attributed to your success as a coach, being able to relate to the athletes? Yeah, like with jiu-jitsu, like, you know, um, they say, oh, yeah, you, should, you have to compete to get your belts. In, in jiu-jitsu, you compete every, every time you train because mm-hmm. you, you touch hands with somebody and go. That's it, you're pretty much competing. Sure. Um, I like my, my coach's uh, phrase on jiu-jitsu is you can no more act like you know how to do jiu-jitsu as you could act like you know how to speak Spanish. You you can or you cannot. And every time you step on the mat, I don't know who's going to walk in the door visiting, you know, especially in Dublin, uh, which was a great thing back in the day. Dublin is a kind of a go-through point for most Americans on the way to Europe. And um, so back in the day, we I was so lucky having so many people come through Dublin that were on, on, a, on a seminar tour of Europe and they would always... Yeah, you know, back then, okay, where's the jiu-jitsu school? I was kind of the only one doing it. So I got my hands on a lot of really good guys back in the day. Um, but, you know, on the other side of that, if I was fakely wearing a belt, let's say, uh, and a guy walks in and all my students are there and I ref- either refuse to roll them or touch hands and it looks like I just can't do anything. You know, like I said, I'm a Spanish teacher and a guy walks in from Spain and starts yapping away to me and I go, uh, gracias, <laughs> and run out the door. You know, you, you'd be showing up very, very uh, quickly. So I'm, I'm even even for coaches that have not competed publicly, I'm sure sparring and rolling in the gym daily. For me personally, and um, touch, I guess, a little bit on the book, I was dealing with some demons from my childhood yeah. and my early uh, adulthood, but that was kind of my personal way of working through that. I do think it has uh, had a, a big side benefit for me personally in how I how I work with guys backstage and how I deal with different guys different, with different nerves and different anxiety issues and and how they approach competition. But my my personal reason for doing it was, like I said, the, the demons from my youth and and that I just I didn't want to be a dry land swimmer. You know, I yeah. wanted to experience the water. And so your book, which is amazing, Winner Learn MMA Conor McGregor and Me. 
MMA, Conor McGregor, and me, A Trainer's Journey, number one on Amazon right now in the United States, which is awesome. I'm staring at it right now. Very good-looking young man in a black T-shirt on the cover. I wonder who that could be. (laughs) (laughs) And you talk about your demons. Would you like to share a little bit about that and maybe, you know, kind of share some of the insight from this book? Those listening, you have to pick up this book. It's not just about MMA. It's it's, it's about life, really. That's what I love about it. Um, you want to share a little bit with the audience? Yeah, well, um, what, what I was talking about there, you know, probably everybody goes through school and gets, you're, you're bullied for a while and, and maybe you're involved in the other end of the bullying scheme as well. That's, I, I don't think there's anything particularly devastating about that. Sure. I, I think nowadays where we go a little bit over the top, you know, um, kids can't make a, a gun shape with their fingers, like, you know, yeah. uh, it's still a bit too protective. So it didn't do me any massive damage being bullied as a kid. Um, but I, I was bullied quite a bit and um, I, I, I never was able to stand up for myself. So I, I had that side of it. But the other side as well, I don't know what it was about my particular nervous system, but I had a very trigger, hair trigger adrenaline gland. I'd be walking to school, and if someone beat their horn, it'd be, I was done for the day. I was, I'd be kind of rattling, and yep. and I found it very hard to deal with confrontation or, or or even people shouting. I was a migraine sufferer as a kid, pretty severe migraine sufferer, and my mother was the same. And we would hate loud noises. Like we would sit in a room with the TV off, radio off, and just read all day, and that was very peaceful to me. And the complete other end of the scale was my dad. He was loud big man, loved fighting physically and verbally, and I was kind of looking at this guy growing up, I, he just seemed alien to me, I just, I, I was the complete opposite, um, and it always made me feel a little bit, I was uh, not complete or something, and then um, I, I go into a bit in detail in the book, I got in a bad street fight when I was 18, I got a really bad beating, and um, it was in front of my girlfriend, <clears throat> and I grew up in an, in an era where the Karate Kid series was, sure. was very popular and, and I was known as kind of the Karate Kid because I'd done karate since I was four. So I was very accomplished there. I was a black belt at 12 and won national championships and I was very good in the quiet dojo setting. But if it, if it was a fight, like a real fight, I, I wasn't able to transfer those skills. And um, anyway, so I, I got in this bad fight and I got really badly beaten up and fortunately I wasn't the... Um, the karate kid type ending where you you drop three guys and you walk yeah. into the sunset with your girlfriend and uh so sort of uh, on top of the bullying on top of this kind of hair trigger adrenal gland and then looking up to my dad and then getting a bad beating at 18 i went into a, I went into really when I, when I look back now i can see it was obviously depression like sure. a, i had six months of, of not leaving the house and you know, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life at this stage. You know, I broke up with that girl pretty soon after that, and it was it was it was a rough time. Uh, and then I, I, I start reading about a, a, an English guy called Jeff Thompson, and he, he had some funny books out. I, I'm sure they would still hold up today. He was a doorman in a very rough part of England in the 80s where it would have been a lot of heavy fights every night on the door. And he had a very witty way of writing, but... Within the writing, he also talked about being terrified every time. And this was shocking to me that a, a big, strong man was talking about fear. And then he had, so as well as his, his, these kind of novels, he had training manuals as well on how to deal with adrenaline, how to deal with the buildup of fights, and both physical and verbal. And I'd never read anything like that before. I, I'd grown up looking at martial artists, just dropping people and, and smiling and walking off with a girl. And uh, in, in my body, I was falling apart every time I heard raised voices. Um... 
but to hear him talk so openly and honestly and, and, and not to feel like a coward to say, like, yes, I'm afraid, but I went through it and, and here's how I did it. That was a revelation to me. And so I started, I read everything that he put out there and I actually went to train with him in, in England. I felt I was very lucky to do that. I actually got a bit of a correspondence going. We actually wrote each other letters. Wow. That, that's how old right. that is. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> we had letters back and forth. There was no emails. Um, and then, and then a year, about a year later, at nineteen, I um, I came across UFC one, and this was the first time I'd ever seen martial arts do what it proclaimed to do. This was a smaller man going in with a one-on-one fight and beating a bigger man. Now I'd seen thousands of demonstrations, and and I can do some pretty cool demonstrations from my from my karate days. I've got some ni- nice techniques. Um, but this was rough and ready, and it didn't look that pretty at the start. Now I think it actually looks beautiful. But, you know, he's headlocking them, and they're rolling around the ground. Where's the one punch and the key eye, and he falls down? Yeah. But it was, yeah, and I, I could even relate a little bit to uh, Hoist. You know, he just looked a bit thin, and he was kind of always looking at the ground. It just seemed to, I, I could definitely relate to him. He wasn't the Ken Shamrock, and, sure. you know, uh, Ken's a cool guy as well. But <laughs> I could definitely feel myself relating to, to Hoist a lot more. And yet he was able to go in and beat them and without really hurting them. And that really appealed to me as well. Like he could just kind of tie them up and at the end he would help them back to their feet and they'd bow and they'd walk out. And I was like, oh man, that, that I'm doing this for life. I don't know. Like you got to think, think, how, think what the UFC was like 20 years ago here. Now imagine that in Europe and then imagine that in Dublin. Yeah. No one knew about the UFC. There was no, okay, if I put my head down, I work hard at this, UFC is going to become this, as we now know, $4 billion industry. And, you know, there'd be something in it. I didn't know that. But I knew I had to do this every day for the rest of my life. And then I'll, I'll enroll in university and become an engineer. But this was amazing. And I, I felt if I could master that, I would be able to go out to nightclubs with confidence. I'd be able to walk down the street with my girlfriend with confidence. And that, in turn, is going to make me a happier person. Because if, if I'm confident in myself physically, I'm going to be happier. And that's going to make people around me want to be in my company yeah and that's a happy life the fact that i turned into me training a uc champion is great but it wasn't my mo- it wasn't why i did it yeah so you followed your passion yeah and look at what happened here we are I here we to, are i get to speak with you now get out of here <laughs> <laughs> um so a fucking great story now you fall in love with ufc ufc one you're just coming off that you know uh, life-changing moment you know street fight you have the karate background you realize this might not be enough. Where do you go from there? Do you find jujitsu? Do you start grappling? Do you walk into a boxing gym? So what's that next step in the transition? So I, I start. There was no Brazilian jujitsu in Ireland. Sure. Um, so the next best I found was judo. Okay. Wow. And so I started doing judo. Um, I, I I started doing everything. Yeah. I, I panicked the next day. Like, where do I sign? I went to the <laughs> boxing club. Yeah. It was actually funny. I went into a pretty well-known boxing club in Dublin. And uh, amateur boxing clubs in Dublin, certainly then, were mostly dominated by 8 to 15-year-olds. That, okay. That's amateur boxing. Then, now, now we've now we've an incredible high-performance team. They're, you know, It's almost like, it, it is pretty much professional. They, they, they train and, and, and live boxing. But back then, I walked in, and I was a 19, 20-year-old. Yeah. And the coach took one look at me and said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I want to learn boxing. You're wasting my time. You're old. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> 120? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, but I kept coming. I kept coming. Sure. And I, I, but, so I did that. I did some judo. 
Uh, back then, I was buying martial arts magazines and I was cutting out news uh, articles that were showing how to do an armbar. Yeah. And my, my main training partner, give a shout out to my little brother, um, he was at the time about eight or nine. So I would hold him down. I would have the article beside me and then I would bend his arm till he screamed and I realized, oh, that's a technique. <laughs> and I'd, I'd write that down and I, I had a file and I had arm bars, I had chokes and, and then I would, you know, I, I bought uh, uh, Teo Jikondo by Bruce Lee and I was trying to figure that out and I just went through a real period of just, of just trying to learn everything. Yeah. Going to, visiting every Thai boxing school, boxing school, judo school. We have a, we have a little wrestling club in Dublin so I, I, I went everywhere. Um, I start getting a bit more serious then when, when I met Matt. Then it, there was a bit of structure to it then. Um, but yeah, at the start, it was just anything and everything. And it was it was an exciting time. So you went and you, saw, you sought out education. You sought out instruction. You weren't sitting back waiting for it to fall into your lap. My, my first t- real seminar, uh, I would credit that to Jeff Thompson because he told me uh, John Machado was coming to London. Oh, wow. And... I couldn't. I was like, "Is he a Brazilian?" He was like, "Yeah, first cousins of the Gracies." And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna touch one of these guys," you know. Yeah. Um, but my friend uh, Robbie Byrne, uh, he actually, I know we listen to this as well, so I'll give a shout out to Robbie. Um, he, two of us, I said to him, "Robbie, we gotta go to this." And I remember then it was eighty pounds sterling that was the cost of the seminar. Okay, still in my head, and I had no money at all. And and also we had to fly to London. We had to get accommodation. All of these things had to happen. And, um, but we, we had no money. And I said, look, let's just go over. Yeah. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. So we landed over there. And um, the guy running it, Bob, I'm terrible at names. Bob something. Super nice guy. And he, I, I don't know. He was, a, he was an older guy. Maybe he's actually about my age now when I think about it. He looked like an old man to me then. <laughs> and we told him our story. You know, like, we have to train with this guy. We don't really have any money. And I maybe saw something in us, and he said, you know what, you can just do the seminar. Wow. And I was like, wow, th- thank you so much. And, and then we were, you must have overheard something. We were, we were saying, where will we sleep? And we were, there was a park nearby, and we were like, we'll find a bench. It's no big deal. Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 stay on the mats, sleep on the mats. So we flew over there. We slept on the mats. Didn't eat too much for two days. But I got to train with John Machado. And uh, the, the following summer, I went to L.A., and I trained at the famous Machado uh, Academy there. With uh, that's when they were kind of all together. It was John there, Egan. Um, there was a bunch of them, and it was I was I was a severe jujitsu drug addict then. Wow. Awesome story. That reminds me of uh, Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill is, is a great um, success coach essentially studied all the great minds all the most successful people of all time and he came up with a, a, a pretty solid, you know, list or a protocol of what the greatest, most successful people do. And one of the areas that he points to is proximity. You want to be successful, you need to put yourself, regardless of circumstance, around successful people. You got on a plane with no money in your pocket. <laughs> you went to where the most successful jiu-jitsu practitioner that you had access to, Jean-Jacques Machado, and you showed up. And you, through fate, through fortune, through fortitude, you found your way into the gym, into the facility, a place to sleep, and you got to actually put, well, I don't want to say put hands on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, very, very briefly. Very briefly. <laughs> he, he did that thing back then. I remember they used to always do it back then, uh, where they would line the room up, and there was at least 70 of us. Wow. And he went through it was one at a time and, and destroyed every one of us. Oh, I look back now, and a high-level black belt with 70 white belts, 
probably can do that. But sure. then it was, he was a superhuman. Yeah. Like, what other martial art could you think where the coach could, at the end of teaching for three or four hours, go, I will now spar all of you till, as Joe Rogan would say, till death, until the submission. And do it. And I remember near the end, <clears throat> he had a little handkerchief on the inside of his lapel, and he was like mountain number 64, starting to strangle him. And then he would pause for a moment, take out the handkerchief, and pat his brow, <laughs> and put it back in, and then, and then, and then finish the guy. And uh, yeah, it, it, was, it, it was literally like magic tricks. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. So now you move forward. You're one of the, the top coaches in the world. You have a very successful gym business, which is a whole nother area that you didn't even embark upon. You didn't set out to be a gym owner. You didn't set out to be a world-class coach. You just set out really on, on the martial arts path. And here you are now, top of the game. Mm. Well, you're exactly where tens of thousands of other coaches and trainers want to be. I mean, tens of thousands is probably a low estimate when we're talking global. Hundreds of thousands. Any insight to those listening right now? How do they become a John Cavanaugh number one best-selling book, number one fighter in the world, one of the top, you know, most renowned gym chains, you know, with your name associated with it? It's pretty cool accolades, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, you know, I have thought about that a lot because, you know, it, I do want to give good answers when I'm asked these type of questions because... I was lucky on the way up to have some mentors that sort of pointed me in the right direction. So the best answer I can come up with now is that I don't, I, I, even when I meet successful people, I don't ask them too much about their wins because I've learned that uh, the wins, there's, a, there's, a, there's an amount of luck involved. Now, we can certainly generate some of our own luck by, by having a, like a positive outlook and, and continuously putting yourself in circumstances where you have the opportunity to win. Whether that's winning fights or, or winning in business or whatever way you define win, but it does come with it with it with a large portion of luck. Now, if you if you keep doing it, you'll event luck and opportunity will eventually collide and you'll have that. But really, what I think separates um, successful people is not is not their wins; it's their losses and what do they do with them. And I've seen it. I mean, I've I don't know many thousands of, of, of fighters I've coached over over these almost twenty years now. But it's always been how they dealt with a loss that separated the, the, the winners, what, what most people call successful from unsuccessful people. They've all, they all had losses, whether it was in the gym environment or, or losing on the big stage. And, and I'm, I'm sure yourself, you, uh, you've got some good loss stories about uh, something failing on you. But it's what you did with that. Yeah. Did, did you see that as a reason to quit trying? Or did you see that as an opportunity to learn? And when I, when I was kind of playing around with the book idea, when the, the publishers came to me, they had the most terrible book title you've ever heard. They wanted to call it John Kavanagh, Out of the Cage. And I was like, oh, my God, there's no way. Sounds that's... like a porn to me. <laughs> 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 I think you just have to Google that later and see, yeah, what, yeah. see what comes up. Yeah, right. But uh, that, that's what they were going on. And I can, from their non-understanding of the sport, I can probably see where they were, what angle they're going for. But really... I had some arguments back and forth, and it took me a few weeks to get agreeance on it. But I had to go win or learn because th that's always been my yeah, my philosophy great. that I had. I have countless great losses I can talk about. Whether it was getting that ba uh, bad beaten on the street, which led to me sourcing uh, Jeff Thompson, and, and in turn uh, jujitsu and MMA in UC, and here we are. I had that bad beating in South Africa. I got really beat up in that fight, which led to me meeting Matt and in turn become an SPG Ireland and having access to 
you know, a lot of resources back then that was able to open a lot of doors for me. Um, you know, uh, there's just just so many examples I can give you in the fighting world of, of where a loss, either one of my losses or one of my students' losses, led to these doors opening in front of me. That instead of say, taking the loss and going, oh, you know what, it's not for me. I'm I'm, I'm obviously a failure at this. I'm, I'm not good at this. Instead of instead of that approach taken as, okay, we we lost here. What what was the lesson? Let's write down the lessons here. Okay. It, there's no, it's not magic what, what we were beaten by. The guy didn't do a spell on us. He did something physical. Okay, what did he do? What were the top three things? Who were the best guys in the world of those top three things? I'm going to chase them until I, until I know how to fix that, how to remedy that. And that was my approach for the very physical uh, martial arts. And then I uh, went to it in the book as well. I had some, some really tough times with gyms failing on me and, and that business falling. And again, you can take that take that as being, and my, you know, I was kind of pushed back down. And I, I can completely understand why my parents were doing it, but when, when one of my gyms would, would fail miserably and I was broke and badly in debt and they're saying, you've got a, an honors degree in engineering and math. What the hell are you doing <laughs> rolling around the what ground with guys? What the hell are you doing, John? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. my dad, yeah. I was actually a bit scarily accurate. <laughs> uh, you know, what are you, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just easily six-figure uh. contracts I could go into tomorrow uh, and, and, and make a good living on that. But again, I, I was saying, okay, there, there is other successful gyms out there. Why can't I mimic that here? Because e- even back then, there was some good jiu-jitsu and MMA schools in the States. And I, I physically experienced them because I went there and I was like, these are humans. They enjoy doing it. I will find a group. I only need a small group of guys to support my lifestyle. So I can definitely do it. It's physically possible. And if I, if I quit now and, and try something else and someone comes in and does it, I know I'm going to look back and go, oh, why, did I, why didn't I stick at it? Okay, well, what is it? It's business is I'm not the first one to do a gym. I'm not the first one to teach martial arts. I'm not the first one to run a business. Where were my biggest failings? Here, here, here. Who is successful in that area? Okay, I'm going to chase them and I'm going to figure out what they did. And so that that's uh, win or learn. That that's it's that that's always been my approach and it's that's what I would say to somebody that's coming up and and that don't don't see a failing if you're a fighter and you take a loss, don't see that as a reason to quit, and if you're if you're trying to run a business, you're trying to run a gym, you're trying to teach mixed martial arts, and you're going through hard some hard times, you're having some losses, your fight team is having some losses, or you're struggling with your landlord over your over your unit, don't see that as a reason to quit. See that as an opportunity to learn. What can you learn from that experience? What can you gain from that? And how are you going to improve for the next time? So I'm I'm big into closed loops. I don't see the point in just practicing. We need to practice. We need to go back and see what was wrong with that practice, and we need to improve on it in the next session. And if you keep that closed loop going for for long enough, you have to get better, and and, and provably so. It's not a theory. It's not it's not my opinion. That's a fact. You read about anybody who's great at what they do. They all have closed loops. They all go back on themselves and see where are the errors. How can I improve? Where are the errors? How can I improve? So you have that kind of sawtooth jagged line going up of back and then before the next step back and before the next step on the way up so use your lose keep chase those losses be be enthusiastic about losing be, you know I, I was i was giving a talk to a, a, a kid's school and i said i said that i said my gym is full of the best losers in the world and they all sniggered at it and i said no we 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 are excited about losses we're excited about losing in the gym and as long as we learn from it i don't i never want to be that guy who's getting whooped every day but if if you're not losing in the gym, if you're not losing, you you're it's, you're probably being too safe. 
we have to experience loss in order to grow. Beautiful. Now, coaching so many athletes with athletes, because I love showing that you're a martial artist. You always, <clears throat> I notice just part of your, your vernacular, you use the term students constantly. Mm-hmm. Athlete or not, that's almost secondary to the student title, which is beautiful. Now, with so many students who are also athletes, some of which are competitive prize fighters, how do you as the coach, the the leader of the group, how do you deal and manage so many different personalities, different egos, and each on the same fight card? One fighter wins, one fighter loses. Ooh. And that's that's a whole nother engagement. How do you do you have any certain structure or protocols that you use to deal with that? Yep. Uh, I'll talk about two separate things. So one, the, the coaching element. I I've, I've, I do group classes and I do one-on-ones. The group classes, and I'd have to credit Matt Thorne to my coach on this, was he always said every class only focus on the core fundamentals. Sometimes when you walk in, and I've had, I, I know jiu-jitsu coaches have said this to me, or MMA coaches, you walk into a room and there's a lot of colored belts, or there's this guy, is in, he's fighting, getting ready for MMA fight, this guy is an amateur, he's a high-level professional, he's getting ready for a major jiu-jitsu tournament, and you can walk in, you, you might be thinking in your head, wow, I better teach like a kind of a cool move here, you know, I've got to keep everybody's attention. That's never, that's never worked for me, and it's, I'm, happy i've never really pursued that line anyway i've always just shown okay guys let's go back to how does the mount escape work what is the what is the fundamentals of that position how do we finish a single leg just the real meat and potatoes of of the different skill uh, different skills in mixed martial arts and if i focus on that I know their own personalities will draw them towards different techniques like i have one 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 jiu-jitsu guy he's he's actually with me on this trip and uh, He got a bit of notoriety because he, he pulled off the first uh, Baron Bola. It's a, it's a very nice sweep in jiu-jitsu, but he pulled it off in an MMA fight. And um, There's a jiu-jitsu coach, a very famous one, gone in my head now. Uh, it'll come back to me. And he, he actually contacted me about this kid, and he did. He, he put up a video about it. Went, it, went, it went everywhere. I'm his coach, and I have no idea how to do in Baron Bola. I, I have no. kind of an idea, but it's not something I've ever taught. I would only work with Lee, <coughs> his name's Lee Hammond, I would only work with him on, on the, the core fundamentals of each position. But his own personality will bring him towards different areas after that. Whereas if you try to teach a style, if you try to teach your set of techniques, you're trying to force, it's almost like you're trying to force the, your students, the people around you, to be the same person as you. And they're not. Everybody has their own personality. <clears throat> But there is certain things we, there is certain movements that we all have to learn how to do in order to be successful in striking arts, in wrestling arts, in, you know, on the ground. And if I am every day focused on that, I know their personalities will take care of their style. So that, that's kind of how I approach coaching group classes, that I, I don't care who's in the room, I have, I have this syllabus and I stick to it. Um, <clears throat> in terms of on, on fight night with having multiple people fighting, it's a very, it's a very simple approach I have that... The athletes, whether whether they win, lose, or draw, we have the same protocol. They're backstage, they grab their gear, and they get the hell out of the change rooms. I don't care. Like, I've done fights, yeah. fight nights, especially in Ireland, where I've had nine fighters on the same card. That's a, that's a big change room. And that's a lot of emotion in that change room. So yeah. Some of them are winning, some of them are losing. But regardless, um, like, like let's say the UFC Dublin card, which is still the high, uh, absolute high point of my professional career, where we have four amazing fights. 
Yeah. It was building up for Connor's comeback and, and, and him going out there and having that incredible performance. But you can imagine when Paddy came back and then when Cole came back and then when Gunnar came back, there was this carnival atmosphere building backstage. Yeah. And I had to like put the foot down and clear that room because we had still work to do. Sure. It wasn't about high fiving everybody. We 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 still had work to do. And that, that approach has, has worked for me, whether it's, like I said, a guy coming back from a loss and, and the energy in the room going down a bit, or a guy coming back from a win and the energy going up a bit. Let's just get him out. Let's let him go out there and enjoy the rest of the show. And then as a team, we'll sit down afterwards and, and I'll analyze the results. Beautiful. I, I love it. Very, very pragmatic, very straightforward, factual <coughs> approach where you're able to deal with all those different personalities. And it's the emotion. Because as humans, it's that emotional roller coaster, the highs and the lows. And those who aren't involved specifically with this sport might not understand because it's so personal. I mean, the athlete goes out there, they're essentially all alone. And then the coach is in their support system, their wives, their children. You're on that roller coaster with them and you have even less... (laughs) you know, ability to do anything about it. So you, you feel, and I know myself personally, I, f- I feel that their emotion and I share that emotion, the highs, because you just want them to be so successful. You want them to do well. You want them to be safe and not get hurt and all that great stuff. And then you have athlete number two who's coming in right behind them. So to be able to kind of segment that emotion, put it to the side, not quite forget about it, but be able to be fresh when you deal with athlete number two and number three and number four and roll all the way through, there's a lot going on, especially backstage and then at the highest level of sport where, I mean, you're talking about lives are on the line, careers are on the line, mortgage payments are on the line. Everything comes down to that one night, the 15 or 25 minutes. It's, it's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I, most of my pro fighters now... <clears throat> I get them to I get them to corner with me at at least once, yeah. if not a few times, because I like them to see the other side of the cage, <laughs> the helplessness. <laughs> and, and it's funny they all say the same at the end of it. Like, Don't ever ask me to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> or or they, they're just surprised at the amount of energy it took out of them. Sure, you know that you're 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 with the guy all day. There's that build up, that slow drip adrenal gland is is is, is tipping away at you. It's you. The, you don't really have a desire to eat, but you should eat because you need that energy to get you through that. You're working up, you're working up, then you're backstage, you're starting that warm-up, you're dealing with that, that that level of energy. Then you're making that walk, and then you realize there is that helplessness as they walk in the cage, they're kind of like a bird flying out of your hand. It's kind of, And then you sit in the corner, and there's nothing you can do about it. However the result goes, it's that crescendo, and then you're back to do it again with the next guy. Yeah. And then not only that, you're doing that for a bunch of times on that night, and then that whoever is fighting on it, let's say it's a it's a it's a major fight. He then maybe takes a week or two off, and then he puts himself back into the gym and he builds his process again. But you're doing that the following Saturday, yeah, and the following Saturday, and the following Saturday, and the following Saturday. So it's it, it's it definitely took me a good a long while to come up with a process. And I I can tell you what it is. It's actually very very simple. When I when I every time I sit in the corner, <clears throat> you'll see me do the same thing. I sit down. I, I get in a strong posture, deep breath, and then on the exhale, I say, I've done everything I can. I can live with the result. Love it. And I, if, if I've not, and I'll be honest, there's been times over the, over the 15 years or so of coaching that I've gone, maybe we should have done this. Maybe we should have done that. And, and now, what those thoughts have led me to feel mean I'll never do that again. Yeah. It's a horrible feeling. You're walking out to the cage, and, and there's a little scratch at the back of your brain saying, Remember two weeks ago? Should you have done that? 
oh no so now I'm obsessive about making sure that when I do go out there I can let out a, a long exhale and I can slow my adrenal gland down and I can slow my brain down and I can think clearly because I can live with the result because we did everything we can and that's all I can ever ask yeah you know I've, I've had similar conversations with athletes and I'm sure you're going to agree the athlete they don't think about the thousand things they did correct during training camp when they're sitting backstage. It's the one thing they did wrong. The one run that they missed, the one you know, piece of pizza maybe that they ate, the one round that they, they kind of hung back and, and didn't put in the extra little oomph. That's the one thing. And that's the demon that haunts them. And you know, trying to get that in their head early to make sure that they don't have that one thought. They know... I did everything correctly. Just And I love the fact that you just said that you've done everything correctly, everything you could for your athlete, and then you're confident when mm-hmm. they step in there. They're well-prepared. And then the best man or woman will win. Yes. And we can take that. We were speaking about one of our other athletes this morning. I will go down in a flame of fire with my athlete. If they've, done, if they've trained and competed 100% and they get beat by the better man, I'll, I'll go 0-10 with that athlete happily and proudly yep. knowing that they're putting everything in it's the athlete that kind of you know sandbags and cuts corners and makes excuses but they might be so talented that they get by and they get some of those w's we're off that train real quick we don't yeah. want to be involved in that and it sounds like you have very similar um experiences yeah no that's spot on everything you said there echoes strongly in my head that you will focus on what you didn't do rather than what you did do and and and, and there is there is a there is an approach as well. Uh, you know, we have a sports psychologist, David Mullins, who's fantastic. And he helps us, you know, because sometimes sometimes we can get maybe a little bit neurotic about it. And, and we do need help in that area, too, about focusing on the positive and what you did do. But certainly if you were if you were genuinely slacking off, if you, if you were genuinely missing all those sessions, then lying in bed, staring at the walls at 2 a.m., you might be the greatest pathological liar in the world <laughs> but you're not lying to yourself at that stage exactly there's a loud voice in there saying we we've not done everything we could yep. and, and like you said i i, I can I, I sort of accidentally became a a a coach of prize fighters i i really and, and i don't know how long i'll keep doing this i i i haven't given myself a time limit but it could be five years and i just go well that was fun all right, let's go back to the gym, and I'm on. Um, it's a dojo now, and I'm, I'm going to turn away professional fighters. I can definitely see that being in my future, not just yet, but I can definitely see that being that in my future. And if, whether it's in the dojo or in or, or you know at the highest levels, I do want to be able to calmly say to myself that I did as much as I could, and then you can live with the result. And part of what you're doing as as a coach, as a professor, as a mentor, as a leader, as, as a um, martial artist, sensei, we can use all these different terms and titles. I believe they all mean approximately the same thing, right? It's, it's just a, a influencer of respect to each individual. And you're actually, you're chaperoning these young men and women through difficult times in their life. And you and I had speaking, you know, on a previous conversation, you said, listen, you know, people that sign up to get into a fight, there's something wrong with them in some way, shape, or form. And it's not a bad type of wrong. We All of us are messed up in yep. our own special yep. way, right? Yep. But if you're signing up to go and, hey, I'm going to get in a fight with you know X individual on yep. this date at this weight, well, there's a little something going on. And you're expending so much 
of your own personal energy and emotion and, and being into each one of these people yeah. and making this this journey or being on this journey with them. Some of which, you know, you could think about your stable. There's some athletes that you know will never make it to the UFC. They'll never make it to the top of that. And that's fine because that's not what it's about. Yeah. And I would guarantee knowing you that you give them the same energy and the same time and the same care and compassion that you do to a Conor McGregor mm-hmm. because you're on that. It's just, it, it's a different destination. The journey's n- nearly identical. Yeah. Um, I've always said, and I, I say to my gym, if you, like I have, I have timetable sessions. If you're on the map for those timetable sessions, you're going to get me. Yeah. And the more effort you put in, the more excited you're going to get me. Yeah. But just to go back to what you said there, because I, uh, for a very physical example of, of it not being about money for, for most of these guys, because being, being, making money from MMA is almost like saying to your parents, I'm going to make money being a rock star. You know, so how many people have yeah. bands and many people try, but never get there. Um, but I, I always like using the example of um, Christian Bale preparing for The Machinist. Uh, I'm sure you, have you seen Absolutely, the movie? Absolutely, yeah. Great sure. movie. I love that yeah. movie. But I remember that the big deal that was made about him going from, I think he was maybe 185 or 190. Batman right? physique, yeah. Yeah, Batman physique down to 145 or 135 maybe, yeah. you know. And everybody was, look at that. Batgirl physique. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> okay. you remember Batman and Batgirl, very good. Um, but... He did that for tens of millions of dollars. And yeah. I've got amateur fighters doing similar week in, week out for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. They're putting themselves to that level of discipline and without the personal trainer and personal chef that he would have had. Now, it, it's, it's absolutely impressive what he did. But I do find it funny how much people fall over that as being a, what an amazing professional. Look what he was. You guess, of course you should do that. Yeah. It's not that amazing. Like I said, I've got... A, I have 50 fighters in my gym and most of them not making anything and they're, they're doing, you know, these big weight drops and a lot of them are honest with themselves saying, you know what, this is a, I'm, I'm in university right now and I'm enjoying, I never want to be anything else other than an amateur fighter. I'll do some amateur fights and then at the end of it, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a school teacher, I'm going to be a policeman or whatever it is. So what is it that they're, why are they putting themselves through this if it's not for financial gain? And it's because of what you said. Everybody's working through something. Yeah. And for some, it'll, I think, I, I know it did for Connor. I 100% know it did for Connor. It, it accidentally led to it being a career. That's, that was certainly not his reasoning at the beginning because there was no career. He was a two-time Cage Warriors world champion and he was, he was making not even close to minimum wage if you were to average it out over the year. Yeah. Um, so it was certainly an accident for him and it is for most of them. But, you know, I know his case, but I could say for any one of my guys that there were certain things in their life. And if I use me as an example, I know I was working through some some demons and this was just a, I believe, a healthy uh, outlet for that. I think all males need this kind of rite of passage to go through becoming, you know, wh- what tribe doesn't have some sort of trials that yeah. they go through uh, on the way from uh, adolescence into into manhood? And I, I, I think that's maybe a little bit missing from our from our society sure, and you know without getting too deep you know a lot of absentee oh. fathers and stuff like that um, so uh, we s- kind of provide that service if you will of, of these guys in their l- l- mid to late teens and they're not sure w- w- what did you do with this energy this testosterone is building up in their body and where, where does it go like where does this competitive drive go that is a very healthy and, and, and evolutionary planted 
uh, desire for his, is, is, is the best outlet of that 40 hours in office? Evidently not, because those guys are the ones that get in street fights on the Saturday night because they go out and they drink and, and they, don't, they didn't have that release or someone beeps a, a horn at them and they get out and beat them to death with a, with a tire iron and then they're in, in court going, what the hell? What was that reaction? Yeah. But I, I, I think it somewhat comes down to this sedentary lifestyle that we're leading, that we don't have to sell that, whereas the guys that go in and do the combat sports or, or lift weights or have this release, this comp- and I especially think it's good with combat sports because it checks the ego, there is that feedback loop. These are the ones that I think go on to become good, solid uh, citizens and, and ones that are going to be useful in the community and sort of more relaxed and, 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 and have a better outlook on, on life, in, in, in a sense. And I think that's a lot of what, what brings young males to, to mixed martial arts, um, is that the, is that the in, inertly or innately, I'm not sure which word that is, innately, <laughs> innately sounds right, uh, understand that this is going to be a healthy outlet and this is going to help them through that adolescence to, to manhood journey. And then... Who knows? Maybe they make some money coaching or fighting, or, or as 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 I'm starting to see my first wave of guys go on to open, you know, call Pendred, uh, give him a shout out. He's just opening up a uh, chopped love call. You know this yeah. uh, this restaurant chain. He's opening up a massive one in Dublin now. He's he's appearing in the uh, in the new Baywatch movie with The Rock. Look at oh, him! Oh, he's okay. doing crazy, he's sexy man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, he is. <laughs> Come here, twin brother. Hey now. You know, so uh, but but they went through, they went through that they they used the, the the martial arts as as a, as a vehicle to kind of g- get that out of a system and and find where where was he going with this and then he ended up doing that and and I'm starting to see that because I'm still relatively new to this game and I'm sort of my first wave of fighters is are either peaking or they've started to go off in different journeys but I see it as a as a very healthy vehicle for that absolutely and you know let, let's bring up call um, am I pronouncing it correctly because. Spot on. Spot on. Yes. And, you know, I was uh, one of the assistant coaches on The Ultimate Fighter, and he and I just hit it off right out of the gate. And um, amazing guy. Really respect him. Hard. Probably the hardest worker on the team, as you know. Mm -hmm. He outworked everybody. Mm -hmm. And he'll say it, not the most athletically talented either, Mm -hmm. but did better than most of the great athletes that were on that season. Yep. So much respect to him. Now... Talk about a journey. Here's a man who came in. He got to the top level of sport and did extremely well. He was, what, 3-0? 4-0. 4-0 inside the UFC, doing very well, and he chose his exit. He said, you know what? I'm done. He could have stayed on and got Mm -hmm. a few more paychecks. Who knows? And he said, I'm done. I'm transferring to another aspect of life. I fucking love the maturity and the wisdom in that statement that he wasn't peer pressured. He wasn't, he didn't have his ego tied to being an ultimate fighter, which is very rare. And, you know, as guys, that's hard to walk away from in the limelight, all the spectacle. I mean, he's on Baywatch now, so that's kind of not bad. (laughs) Um, So can you give a little bit of insight to having an athlete like that, that you don't have to tap on the shoulder and say, Hey, we might want to think about exit strategy here. Yeah. He's a guy that could have gone on a little farther. Now, his mm-hmm. fight style was fan-friendly, we'll say. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, how long can you have those type of fights? Yeah. Smart guy once again. Yeah. So share some insight for us. Yeah, well, certainly as a, as a coach, I mean, that, that's just your dream guy. You know, yeah. to walk in the door. Uh, he's, a, he's a physical specimen to begin with. And then if you, you, you tell him, jump, it's how high, you know. Yeah. You, 
do this 50 times and then you ask them in a few days time, how many times you do that? You said 50, I did 50, you know, yeah. there's just that feedback. It's, it's, it's a dream. Yeah. Um, and then now uh, one of my, one of my favorite things about call is that I can use them as a, as a great example to kids coming up. Like I have, I've got kids now that are say 2021 20, and they're, they're, you know, they're starting to do pretty well, but they're in their final year of, of college, of university. And oh, I'm going to drop out now because this, you can't do both things at the same time. I always go, wait a minute. Cottle was getting ready for his, a Cage Warriors world title fight while graduating with an honors degree in forensic science. Wow. So uh, there, there's a guy like, you know, and I, I will put my hand up and say I'm guilty as well. And I, and I know you'll have strong feelings and opinions on this, how easy it is to come for excuses yeah. of why we don't have our, our food plans ready or why we don't, why we can't schedule ourselves, you know, to do a few different things every day. Sure. And Cottle was just a master at this, you know. I love the image of him uh, doing his final exams in a very tough course, which require a lot of study, um, while making weight, wh- while the other kids are probably, you know, eating or whatever they want. And he, he's he's on, you know, a couple uh, 50 grams of, of chicken and, and a little bit of greens because he's... And, and then that weekend, when, he, when his exam's finished, he went back into that hall to have a fist fight because that's where the fight was held. Yeah. You know, and it's his, it's his favorite contest it, it, for me where he beat David Bielhaiden, who was extremely high level guy. That was somebody that I used to look up to and read a lot about when I was coming up. Uh, one of the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts in Europe. He was a Swedish guy. Well, he is a Swedish guy. And he had lived in Brazil for a long time and, and for Cottle to go in there. And I would, I would ask anybody to go in and look at that fight. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. And Cottle did incredible in that fight while completing his studies, while making weight. So it, just his, his discipline, if you want to call it that, um, it was inspiring to me. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm so lucky to have been around him that like for me personally, inspiring, but that now I can point, stop other kids talking because I didn't have an example before sure. that. Now I just can shh, 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 read about Cole. Yeah. And come back to me then with your, with your four-hour day you have in university. I weep. <laughs> 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 How can you possibly fit in 90 minutes training with your four-hour day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And does Cole still come to the gym? I know he's busy. He's got lots of business popping off now. He's still fine time to train? Yeah, yeah. We have... Um, so... My my particular location is quite a bit away from him, but his teammate, who you know, Chris Fields, was on the on the sure. same season. He has opened up an SBG over the other side of the city. Beautiful. So they're they're about uh, I suppose about twenty miles away from me, but Cahill lives right beside that. So um, I always get a kick. Even today, I was actually just checking on my phone there, and Chris had put up a picture of uh, oh, great rounds jutsu today, and in the picture there's Cahill smiling at the end. Of course. So, so there's a guy that. Um, you know, he, he did a professional side of it, um, but he can't stop. He, he, he's back in the gym. He's learning jujitsu. He's not, not that he's learning, he's continued to train jujitsu. Sure. We're all learning jujitsu. Um, so it's, it's, it's great to see that, you know. He's, he's a martial artist and he's on that path now. And like you said, it, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. He's yeah. not going to shake free of that. No, I, I think when it gets under your skin, you're done. That's it. And that those who pursue the martial arts lifestyle, I've found become extremely successful in all aspects of life because they build that same work ethic. They build the same approach and they look at whether it's business, whether it's family, other, you know, hobbies, passions, they have that same ingrained habit that they've learned on the mats or in the dojos. You show up, you're on time, you're respectful, you have an open mind, you learn, 
you understand your flaws, you work to get better at your flaws, you become a teammate, you work to help the people around you better, you try and surround yourself by those that know more than you, that can challenge you. You know, I've seen with my own life here, you know, through our team, but also the more successful people I know, they have some sort of background, martial arts background. Whether it's, you know, um, you know, Kung Fu or Wushu even, that might not be more of the, the martial arts, more of the competitive arts, it's still that discipline and it's self-improvement in a way and you're actually blending the physicality, not just the, the, the mentality, the psychology, the education, if you will. You're, you're testing your body and when you do that, your mind is learning at the same time. You probably know there's guys that very book smart, they sit in offices and physically they look terrible they're not nearly as successful as they could have been had they trained their body to the same way that they've trained their minds. Yeah, I mean, even even when I look at sports like uh, golf, which Ireland is doing very well at as well, like those guys now are starting to, are looking physically like monsters now. Yeah. You know, go back go back a decade and, and they would have said to you, well, what's the point in being so physically yep. uh, fit for golf? It doesn't require it. But again, I, I don't know how big darts is here. Uh, probably oh, very, very small. Only in the pubs. Only in the pub. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same back home, but it's actually <coughs> becoming quite. It's actually becoming huge now. And there's some of the players now coming up. You know, the younger ones. Uh, if you if you could, if you were aware of it, you go back 15 years, and the guy were were drinking beer while playing for the world title. Oh wow! You know, and now you've gotten these kids coming up now that are in ripped shape. Because they're seeing the they're seeing the connection between being physically in shape and being mentally in shape, so I, I don't think being physically fit is going to be a hindrance for anything you're doing. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about lifestyle. You know, here in the states, there's a lot of conversation about work life balance, being able to disconnect yourself from your profession so you become good at living with your family, being engaged with your spouse or your children, your community, and being able to unplug here in the States. It's work. It's make more money. It's get the bigger house, more cars, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, five or so years ago, it became, wait a minute, how big does the house have to be? How many cars do I really need when you're working 12, 16 hours a day, you know, five, six days a week? So that culture changed. I don't know how it is, you know, over in Ireland. Um, but how have you personally been able to work on your own work-life balance? Because your sport is is all-encompassing. It's, like you say, every weekend you have athletes that are competing. Mm-hmm. Your gym opens at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning and you're not walking out till 9, 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. How do you unplug to become more successful when you actually are at work, but not to limit or risk some of your interpersonal relationships or even your sense of self? Is there any insight you have? I'm probably a terrible example. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Because I am, that's all I do. But um, I'm very lucky that really the only person that means anything, well, besides my immediate family, is is my fiance, Orla. That's that's my best friend. That's, uh, I would choose to be in our company 24-7. I'm I'm just very, very lucky with that. And we are in each other's company 24-7 because she helps me run the gym. Beautiful. And we have an office about the same size as this, and I have a desk on one side, she's a desk on the other side, and... We're actually one of those disgusting couples that if it's a day apart, it's 400 WhatsApp messages back and forward about, you know, what are you doing? Are you, up there, you know, um, so I'm, I, I think that's important that you have a partner um, that supports you and what you do. I, I sometimes see it in, in my young fighters coming up that they have a girlfriend that's every time they go to the gym, it's, it's a battle with them, you know, and, and I kind of feel bad, but I. I have to be honest and give the advice that you probably have to cut that person out of your life. True. Um, if someone is if someone is not supporting you, um, 
but the, people are either doing one of two things: they're they're adding to or they're subtracting from, and it's it's very very hard. But you have to, at some stage, be honest with your group and say, these guys probably cannot be part of this group anymore, and it's it's almost like a death. Like when you when you do cut out someone like that out of your life. Yeah. But I know if for me personally, over over the years, that as I've kind of weeded out the takers. And then I've surrounded myself with people that are ahead of me and that I'm looking up to. That's only that's only being a positive for me. Um, yeah, so I I think it's important that your 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 partner and your friends are are or even if they're not like I have I have a very close friend who knows nothing of MMA. Like it's, it's actually quite funny that he would I think he'd barely know who Connor is, and I value his friendship because sure. it's he's the same in, in that he he has his own area. A pretty famous artist, actually. He has his own area that he's that he's, he's fantastic at, and I, I I draw inspiration from how much effort and and work he puts into that. Um, but it's you know it's completely different to mine. So uh, yeah, but but I do think you kind of have to lose yourself in whatever you're doing a little bit. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I I, I think if you if if you're especially if you're working for yourself, if if whatever area you're in, kind of. You have to become a bit obsessive. <laughs> and I, I don't disagree with that, especially yeah. to be successful. And what you said earlier in the show was you don't know how long you're going to be operating at this level with elite athletes competing. There might be a time five years or so that you say, OK, now it's time to transfer back, go back to your dojo, work mm-hmm. with your students and live yeah. more of that life. So that's part of the balance also. You've set very clear goals. I'm sure you have very clear targets. You know things that you want to accomplish within this period of time. But then there's a whole other list that kicks in. Yeah. And it sounds like that you have those goals already set. Yeah, yeah. No, you, like right now I am kind of living out of a suitcase. It's it's, sure. it's one it's one show to the next, one country to the next, one hotel to the next. It's like I came back from uh, one of my trips and, and we're in a few days. One of my students said to me, oh, you, I, do you still feel jet lagged? I said, that's my secret. I'm always jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always figuring out time zones. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, right now I don't have kids, um, but but I we're not working on it just yet. We're, we're practicing. Practicing. Go. Go. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> makes perfect. <laughs> practicing a lot for, for when we do go ahead. But but when that does happen, I can't, I, you know, I, I don't, I want to be there. I want to, you know, I, I do feel I've, I've got I've got some things to pass on, and you know I'm doing it with my fight team right now, but I do want to pass. You know, obviously my kids is going to be more important than that, so sure. I, I can definitely see a time where where I will pull back a little bit from the from the, from the travel and and want to be a bit more a little bit more settled. How yeah. uh, how do you go about staying like mentally refreshed, living out of a suitcase, and dealing with like a global icon like Connor and all the obligations that that brings while being a very successful businessman and maintaining your other fighters and every Saturday, you know, different fights and stuff like that. Is there something you kind of fall back on as like, okay, this is a recycle for myself to kind of keep me fresh. Do you like books, whatever? Yeah. Um, it's been the same. I, I take the same approach for no matter what I'm doing. Uh, I've said this in a few different interviews. Like right now we're, we're having a conversation and I'm, I'm fully in the room. I'm, I'm listening to what both you guys are saying and I'm trying to give, the best answers I can, and that's what I'm doing right now, and this is where I'm living. I'm not kind of drifting away and thinking, well, what's tonight's session? What am I doing with Connor? And, and I, I find I, I've done that definitely in the past, and then at the end of the day, I've said to myself, what did I do today? I mm. actually have no idea. So I, I know it's a, I'm, I'm almost kicking myself saying the phrase living in the moment, but I, I find that if I, if, I, if I focus on the moment, then... The week ahead, the month ahead, the year ahead takes care of itself. 
Because that's, that's something that, especially MMA journalists love to ask. As soon as a contest is over, the first question is, who's next? And I'm like, dude, hold on. Yeah. This just happened. We're okay for right now. This just happened. So I, I think it's a, it's a um, you can definitely easily drift into that mode of just, okay, what's next? Who's next? What's going to happen in a year? What's going to happen in five years? But today, like I, I, I and say, let's say back home, I have like a jiu-jitsu session at one o'clock. Whoever's on the mat, they're going to get me on for that 90 minutes. Right. I'm going to be there. They ask me a question. I will make eye contact. I will give my best answer I have. I will live in that moment. And then maybe that night I'm doing a one-on-one with, with Connor, the most famous fighter on the planet. You know, so it's, but I'm not in the jiu-jitsu session going to myself, what am I going to do tonight? You know, and kind of drifting. Right. So I, I just try to do that. I try to be disciplined with that, that if, you know, I have, uh, even this morning, one of my, one of my amateurs back home, he just, he had a fight recently and he sent me a video of it and he said, like, hey, what do you think of that moment there? What? And okay, I switched on for 15 minutes and I wrote my reply and I focused on that and, you know, there I was for that moment. So now I want to transition a little bit into your work with Connor. Obviously, a luminary legend in the game already and um, fighting, you know, at, at the top of the sport in his prime. But your story goes way back. Like I said earlier in the show, Connor wasn't a world champion when he walked into John Cavanaugh's Straight Blast Gym. He was Connor. Yeah, yeah. So give us a little bit of background into that, some insight and what you saw at that time and where he is now. Um, yeah, so he was, I guess he was 16, 17. He did a little bit of boxing, with a kickboxing. He was kind of, definitely had an interest in martial arts. He was he was floating from one to the other. But probably like myself, when he first heard of MMA and seen it, his eyes lit up and, and that this was very complete. You know, when he did boxing, he wasn't allowed to kick. When he did kickboxing, he wasn't allowed to grab, you know. And then you see MMA and you go, this is freedom of movement here. There's, there's no restrictions. This is uh, for someone, if, you, if you're a Bruce Lee fan or you're a fan of martial arts, this is, you, I don't know how you cannot do this if you're a fan of martial arts. Um, you know, there is some, some guys who are doing different martial arts that would say, with contacts too heavy, they'll say, oh, well, don't compete then. But I don't know how you can't train this. It's because, you know, like I said, martial arts is about self-defense, about mastering yourself as well. But with, with MMA, there's no restrictions. Anyway, um, so he, he, he was brought to the gym by a, a fighter I had at the time, Tom Egan, who was actually first Irish guy that I had to sure. compete in the UFC and from day one it was obvious there were he had certain qualities that you know if you if you if you have those qualities and you can keep that person with you for x number of years and you're providing you're providing a good service they're going to become great number one curious nature everything I showed he was never satisfied with the answer unless I could explain it well and demonstrate it well you could it was never never just a blank expression with how do i do this okay i'll do it that way it was always like why not this way and let, let me try that and then that night at 1 a.m message well i just tried it my girlfriend a different way and it worked so can we look at that again tomorrow and once i have that relationship with somebody i, I that's exciting to me because i have a similar type of nature i want trial and error trial and error and and try different ways of doing it that um, very charismatic personality, a very witty guy, very sharp. And and in Dublin, we have a <clears throat> we say we're he's very good at taking the piss out of people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> great at the banter. You know, just the back and forward. Which fast forward a couple of years leads to a very interesting press conferences. But absolutely, but that that was just that's a skill he had that you developed from 
where he's from in Dublin. If you don't have that ability, you're you're going to get left behind pretty quick by your group of friends because we all verbally spar like that daily. Okay, um, that was a skill then back then. Um, a southpaw, which is which is always exciting because if you have a thousand hours of sparring behind you, statistically probably um, seven hundred of those hours, even maybe higher than that, is against orthodox. So your opponents will naturally have less time facing southpaws than orthodox. So sure. you have your software is a little bit ahead of them um, because you're you're it's it you're you have to kind of reverse everything mentally facing them. He has the touch. Um, I hate not knowing how to do something because I believe everything has a physical answer. There is not magic. There is a physical answer, but I don't know how some people have this touch that he can hit extremely hard from any angle. Um, but I, I, I will figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. I will figure it out and I will be able to pass it on. But right now, I, I don't know how it's done. And I've every boxing coach I speak to, they kind of just shrug their shoulders as well and say, oh, some guys walk in, can hit real hard. And some guys can't. But there must be a physical answer. Sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll carry on with that journey. But he has that. Um so that that just that capacity for learning. He was a good athlete. He had, he had played sports his whole life. He was a, a very good fo- uh, football soccer player. Um, I, I don't again. I don't. I don't believe in the word talent. If, if someone walks in <coughs> and they and they are what we would say, oh, he's athletically gifted. Well, he didn't play video games for the last ten years and then walk in and be able to have a good vertical jump or be able to walk in a balance beam or be able to do, you know, th- these different exercises. He probably climbed a lot of trees. He probably ran around this area with his friends. He probably played some different sports. And if you have all that, then someone walks in and they, they can, they can kind of move in, in, in a certain way. Um, so yeah, you, you kind of, you kind of tip, tick all those boxes and then you say to yourself, Hmm, maybe we can, maybe something is going to happen here, you know, and, and early on, like it, I, I, I was, fairly convinced he was going to go far. So you you saw that you could see the talent and also he had the work ethic you felt to realize that talent. Yeah. Um, maybe I was going to say first in and last out, but maybe not first in. His timekeeping was never great. Okay. But when he got in, you couldn't get him out. Sure. You couldn't get him out. Uh, always, always the last one out of the gym. And, and like I said, I'm big about the closed loop. I'm big about purposeful practice. That he never did a training session that he didn't have 10 questions about. Yeah. It was never, okay, I've got to train four times a week. I'll come down those four sessions. I've done them. See you next week. Yeah. Every session was, sometimes it was draining, if I'm being honest. Every, every session was when we went home that night, there was a, 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 a back and forward text battle, <laughs> writing essays to each other about, about, about it. And if someone is that obsessive about correcting on the session they just did, um, you know, I, I'm big into reading uh, like kind of the talent code and these these books about yeah. well, what is why what did Michael Jordan do different than everybody else? What did Tiger Woods? What did and it all comes. There's no one that just did it naturally. They all behind the scenes had these thousands of hours of closed loop training where they would analyze their losses, learn from it, improve, and then go again. Do you know kind of echo what we said earlier on about the first time they lost, the first time I, I like to, I know there's some of those memes out there where Jordan talks about all the shots he missed yeah. and you know, he lost some championships over those shots and you would forgive someone for uh, such a public loss like that to go, put the head down and oh, let's try something else. But he didn't. 
Yeah. He went, well, what was the mistake? How do I fix that? Let me try again. Fail again. Fail better. You know, and, and the, yeah. that 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 uh, that kind of approach, and 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 Connor, and I, I I I think it is his personality anyway. But he did come from an amateur boxing background where you compete every week. Yeah. He was competing every week, and he doesn't know what his record in, in the boxing was. He was winning, he was losing. But but that idea of 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 the of, of competing every week and and not treating a loss as as life ending as as you know as absolutely oh that's it now I'm done as treating it as like okay. Give me the three mistakes. Give me three exercises to work on them. Watch me blow that out of water next week. And that's how he was. I always like the story, one, one of the first times we were doing wrestling. And, uh, you know, we're doing a drill. And I put him down and, uh, you know, kind of boom, back on the mat. And he kept squaring and struggling. And I went, hey, 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 see when your back hit the mat? That's when it was over. And he, huh. he, he kind of looked at me. And then... Uh, of course, he obsessively started working on that position, that technique. Fast forward about two or three months, and we were doing the drill again, and he slammed me on his, on my back, and he said, you see when your back hit the mat? That's when it was over. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, you can't have a love that. Like, you yeah, know? yeah and, so uh, I think this, if I may, fight with Nate Diaz, Connor immediately calls for a second fight with Nate Diaz. That seems to be reflective of the points that you're making. He's looking to close the loop. He realized that there were some areas that he can improve upon. And now he's going to prove to himself more than anything, it seems, that he can close that loop. So this, me being very much on the outside, not knowing Connor very well, knowing yourself slowly getting better, this is an athlete that is consumed with his own personal mastery. It's not someone that's just fishing for paydays. You, I, I couldn't put it better, you know, and, and it's... It can be a little bit draining the social media side of things. Like you, you can. Some days it's great, and, sure. and and I have to be honest, I get I get mostly positive positive sent to me, and it's it's a great boost. And I'm sure you, you yourself, you have those emails from from guys who are never going to get any headlines, but you talk about like, oh, I got a little bit of inspiration from you, sure. uh, and I, my my life is you know getting a little bit better. I lost a few pounds. I, I'm standing a bit taller. Whatever it is. Um, but sometimes you know it, it can be a, a drain as well if you if you if you they say uh, Forrest Griffin actually gave me a great tip. He said, "Tweet, but don't read. You know, don't, don't <laughs> <I love that. laughs> yeah, also, yeah. stay away from those comments." You know? uh, and I've seen another uh, reading a good book at the moment. Um, the the uh, what's it called? The chimp, the chimp, uh, the chimp paradox. Or God, I can't even think of the title of it now. But it's it's about uh, we we have this chimp on the inside of us, and when something happens, the chimp reacts first, and then the human comes behind him. So okay. the chimp is there, sort of affects us, but then the human comes behind him. And he talks about, um, especially for, say, yourself that has a, a large audience, no matter what you say, you could say the most soft comment ever, and you're going to have 20% that no matter what you say will always agree with you. You're going to have 60% that will think about it, that you're, you're going to influence one way or the other. But then you're going to have 20%, and you could say the sky is blue, and they will argue to death. Yeah. Because they are just following you every day to say the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah. And at the beginning, that was very draining on me, trying to change their minds. And then I realized I'm absolutely wasting my time with that. The 20% that disagree with everything you say is, not, is, is you know, it's, it's great, but the 60% are my audience. That, that's who I try to put my energy into that. They'll come back to me with, with, with genuine questions. And I have no problem engaging with people like that. They have, yeah, I see what you're saying, but what about this, this, and that will make me pause and think. 
and I can have a back and forth of that, but I can't talk to that twenty percent. Sure, they're just out to get us, no matter what, you know, no matter what happens. But what you said there was was the real nail on the head that um, this is this is a personal issue for Connor. This this is a, a personal question of, of of mastery that you know it, you can't. And I, I I have nothing against the the Diaz brothers, and I don't think you could be a fan of MMA and not be a fan of the Diaz brothers. Absolutely, and and, sure. and, and there's certainly an element <coughs> of 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 both Connor and, and and they being cut somewhat from the same cloth of this on the schoolyard who, who's the best fighter you yeah. know it, it, there's an element of that it's not so much about weight classes it's not so much about championship belts it's not so much about anything else other than you have your skill set i have my skill set let's let's see who's let's see who's the best at this and I, I have i have nothing but admiration and respect for both of those guys that that's that that's what they're doing this for this is this is an old show old school showdown between two samurai you know they're they're meeting in this in in this hallowed grounds that we call the UFC octagon but this is a hundred years ago these two warriors w- would have been testing themselves on, on a battlefield somewhere or, or, or whatever and that's what this contest is about that we and Connor truly believe we have the superior skill set to win this fight and we want to show that the winner learn isn't just a phrase it's it's something we, we genuinely live by and it's what got us from a shed in a small place in Dublin to doing quite well in the in the world setting. You know, even just there recently, the the, the IMF Amateur World Championships um, were held in Vegas, and and little old Ireland got more medals than any country. Wow, congrats! We, That's we, awesome. We won more medals than any country. So we we um, and and this this rematch is 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 actually I think going to be quite a, a beautiful beautiful example of what we do of disability to use or lose that we we have it what can be a devastating loss there's something about uh fighting professional fighting because you only do it two or three times a year that there's such a build-up to it sure if you're playing tennis or football or something you can do it every week yeah but for fighting it's 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 only two or three times a year so there is such a build-up it's so public it's one-on-one um you know, for for some fighters, when when they when they experience that, they just can't come back from it. What did Connor do? We were back in the change rooms five minutes later, and he was he was watching the footage of it, going, "Ah, I should look at this. Why did I do that? Here's gotcha. my top three mistakes. I should have done this better. I should have done that better. I should have done this better. Okay, let's go to the gym on Monday, and I'm going to work on this, this, and this. And and that to me is exciting when I'm dealing with someone like that. I how can that not get you pumped? You know, I I, I we're I'm so excited about this. He's so excited about it, and um. It's been a massive help to me uh, for for my personal journey as a coach because, you know, I still feel I'm fairly novice at this, and my next generation of guys are going to benefit so much from what Connor has put himself through. Uh, the different, if you want to call these individual experiments that he's he's involved himself with, and that we've improved on. Now my next, my my Dylan Tooks, my James Gallagher's, the, these guys in their in their uh, teens still. Oh. W- what are we going to do with them in the next five years? You know, so it's. It's this fight I'm actually more excited about than the Aldo fight. Okay. Both, you know, whether the one he the one he won or maybe the the rematch that's coming up. But this one is actually more interesting to me. So, and the statement about after the fight with Nate Connor's in the back room with yourself, looking at the footage, being accountable, not making Great not pointing fingers. One of my favorite words. That's accountability, accountable. and it reminds me of the stories of George Saint Pierre immediately after his fight going backstage working with his coaches, even though George had won certain fights, still frustrated with his performance because he didn't win a position 
or he didn't finish in a position that he could have or should have. And immediately they're actually drilling the technique in that moment. And it shows you the difference of athletes like Connor. I mean, the truly the, the best in the world that don't just get there, then fade away. They get there, they stay there, they dominate, they become legends because they have the accountability gene that most of the population, unfortunately, I don't want to say they don't have, but they don't train it. They don't look and say, where am I accountable? And I think, you know, us as humans, me as a man, it's easy to say, oh, no, that's not my fault. I mean, it rained today or whatever the excuse is, how am I accountable? How could I have done better? And to hear that with Connor, I mean, that's that's why he's a great already. And he's a young man still. And when I, I don't use the term a great very often. And with Connor, it was like, I remember the first time I met Connor, he called me coach and sir. That stands out. And that's probably one of the things I mentioned most when people say, hey, what do you think about Connor McGregor? He's a martial artist. He's a respectful, hardworking young man. And like anytime I see him, he'll call me coach. Mm-hmm. He'll call me sir. I actually remember that first time. Do you? Yeah, we were stepping into the lift and you were in the lift. And, uh, yes, sir. We both got a real buzz out of this, you know. About seeing you when we left, he's like, Fuck, he is really big, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, oh, that's awesome. no, well, I like, like Connor, I, I, you know, Connor has had incredible opportunities over the last 12, 18 months meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, all these people. And who, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, the little guy, yeah. <laughs> but we love meeting people, um, who are great at what they do, whether it's you and your industry and. I mean, what industry do you want to say? Arnold is this great. He's been great at everything. Everything, yeah. Um, Dave, you know, his, his tailor, his meeting, the, you know, the Fertitas and all of these guys are amazing at what they do. And, and like we spoke earlier on, we start seeing these core principles that they each, are, they each follow and they each train, you know, like you said there about accountability. Um, all of these aspects have to be trained. Yeah. You know, and some of my fighters talk about the, the, the mental strength game. And we, we have a fantastic uh, David Mullins who takes care of our sports psychology. But it's not like he has a couple of cool phrases he can say to you in the change rooms and out you go and you suddenly perform amazing. Sure. It's trained the same as the physical skills. It's a daily, I don't like using the word grind, but that, that, that is a word that's thrown around. Yeah. You know, you have to keep at this daily. And there are certain areas like if you're an MMA fighter, you might love the boxing range. And, and not be fond, not be too f- fond of the, some of the other ranges of mixed martial arts. But if you don't train them, they're not going to get better. There's no point in sticking your head in the sand about them. We, we have to train all areas. And, and, and your, your word you used earlier on is one of my two favorite words, accountability. I, I love that word. Uh, responsibility being the other. Um, mm-hmm. but, but to be accountable for your own actions, that's, that's the only way where somebody... Like, like, let's say we're always asked a wrestling question, you know, because we, wrestling isn't a, isn't a huge tradition in Ireland. It is changing. The last, the last 10 years or so have changed in Ireland because we've had so many Eastern Europeans move to Ireland. So we actually have, at our, like our, our, um, our wrestling coach we have now, Sergei from, from Moldova, is incredible. He was, actually, he was actually brought to the States and, and coached over here for a while wow. by, by some high schools. And now he's moved back to Ireland, and now he's with us on a daily basis. But for Connor to not just kind of throw his hands in the air and say, "Well, I guess I'm never going to get far in MMA because we don't have wrestling," or you know, "Oh, I guess I have to move somewhere where to do." No, it's like let's 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 build on that here. Let's let's reach out. Let's let's see what resources are available, and rather than just 
accepting um, the position, we took accountability for it. I searched until I found somebody like Sergey, and then I did whatever I had to. He, I mean, that was a, he's a busy man. He's got a he's got a job and he's got a family and he has his other commitments. But I didn't take no as an answer. I was not accepting anything else other than him being in the gym every day and, and helping us. And you know, that's ten years ago. And now we fast forward and and now. Um, you know, let, let's, what, what's the, what's, because I'm a results-driven person as well. What's the results of that? Um, I'm a big United States fan, but we got more medals than, than the United States. Yeah. In, 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 in a, and especially amateur MMA is heavy, heavily grappling and wrestling a base because some of the techniques are not there that would finish fights in, in professional. You know, there's much bigger gloves, so that knockout is harder. We've no elbows, no knees. So, area where we might be a little bit ahead striking um, because we have the boxing history in in Ireland and we have the Thai boxing history in, 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 in you know the Dutch so we, we we have great access to striking back home and in amateur MMA we that doesn't quite pay off quite as well it's, it's more the grappling and you know 10 years later here we are and and the amateur team did you know got more medals so um I think there's no point in sitting around and, and blaming circumstances. There's pros and cons to wherever you are and whatever position you're in. And I think the people, the, the lucky people, the talented people, <laughs> are those that see what is available rather than what isn't. I love it. Now, you as a coach, in your crystal ball, Connor goes out there, he beats Nate. Now they're sitting one and one. Are you looking for the rubber match? To go best out of three, or are you saying, "Hey, we've had the battles. We respect the foe. We're moving on back down to one forty-five. Maybe test things at one fifty-five. Where and again, obviously, you know, I'm not Joe Silva, but for the MMA fan out there, everyone has their own opinion. Where do you think is a is a good next step? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I know in a recent interview, Connor said there would be the the rubber match. You know. Um, I, I want this contest to be seen in such a way. I want the, the, the win to be in such a way that there is no questions. Okay. If this is a back and forward contest, if, if, if Connor ekes out a decision, or then it has to be. You know, you know uh, Nate did obviously fantastic in, in, their, in their first match, and uh, Connor accepted the change of, of weight class and, and style with very short notice. But you got you got to give massive props to Nate. He accepted it on, on very short notice. Now let's do where both guys have had months and months of preparation yeah. and there can be no questions asked. And let's make the victory in such a way that no one can say, well, that, that he was close, he was close. Let's do the, let's do the best out three. I want it to be, no, I won't affect that 20%, yeah. but I want the 60% to go, oh, that was clear. Sure. That was a very clear victory there. And, and neither can bitch or moan. Neither... Connor can't say anything about it. Uh, well, new style of opponent, new weight class. And Nate can't say anything about, well, it was on nine days. No, no. you both knew who you were fighting. You both knew what weight class. You both had months of preparation. Who, who won that one? Yeah. And I, I want that to be decisive. Um, now, in saying that, maybe, maybe there still is uh, cause for, for, for a rubber match. Um, but but I, I think it will be done in such a way that there won't be. Um, after that, what's next? Um, probably I had a, a little personal vision or dream of it being, you know, Edgar going in and, and doing amazing against Aldo like he did against Mendes and really answer that question. 
Well, he is the answer, isn't he? I didn't pardon him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at you. Just put that in there. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you know he's the he's the other top one forty five er and let's have the build up to um to the Madison Square Garden and you know he's almost a local guy there and it would have been just amazing you know yeah. as storylines go that would have been uh, really really exciting really really uh, interesting um but I guess Aldo showed he had the answer yeah. again and I think Aldo I've said this in the lead up to Connor's fights I think Aldo is one of the best of the world at beating short wrestlers and he's kind of made a career out of it wow. look at all his big victories in WEC or UFC he's just incredible at beating short wrestlers uh, in fact and I'll be openly and honest and I learned from a lot of fighters I study Aldo very closely on how he deals with short wrestlers because it's hard to argue that he doesn't do it better than anybody else but I think he suffers badly against walk forward strikers Okay, um, and, and I, I thought it would be a quick fight the first time and when I watched him against Edgar again I learned a lot from that fight there were some moments in that where I was like oh we're, we're, I'm going to watch that again and, I, and I'm, I'm obsessively watching it because I don't care about the personalities I don't care where it's going I care about martial arts and I care about learning moves that I'm going to show not only my next wave of guys but the wave after that so yeah. there's certain things he's doing that are really really brilliant but then on the other side look I go it's pretty much the same guy that he beat the last time yeah. He, it's not the most unpredictable um, style, Muay Thai, um, defensive wrestling, and, and it, it just looked a very similar guy. Um, it, I thought I thought he looked fantastic. I thought he, sure. within a round he got the confidence back. You can see in round one he's very tentative after such a devastating knockout the last time. But as the rounds went on, you could see that old kind of confidence coming back. And and it's uh, for the re, you know for the rematch it'll be exciting. You know they're going to have that great build up again. Um, but I think technically it's it's going to be a very similar fight than the first one, so it's it's not it, it loses a bit of the gloss sure. of the of the big uh, the Edgar showdown, but Edgar had to do his job. He had yeah. to do his side of the bargain. He had to go in there and and show he had made all those improvements from their first meet. And if anything, I think I think the difference was was greater, and that that answered a lot of questions. That God, well, Aldo uh, came out with a lot of heavy shots from their first meet and. Maybe the chin has gone a little bit now, but he, he came out basically without a scratch on him. Yeah. Uh, and this time it was actually Edgar to come out in, in a bad way. So maybe Aldo's shown and proven that he's actually improved quite a lot. But I think he's improved quite a lot at beating that guy again. Gotcha. Uh, but Connor's not a short wrestler. No. Now, is it harder for you? And, and we can say, you know, Connor versus Aldo, but really any athlete, is it harder for you as a coach? and the athlete and your team to get up for a fight as the victor already, knowing we already beat this guy, how would you mentally approach that to make sure your athlete is just as prepared at the first fight when there's a little bit of anxiety and anticipation? You've never been in there before. How do you approach that? Well, I guess I'm doing it, uh, it'll almost be two fights of doing it on opposite ends, you know, in, in that now he's preparing for someone who he lost to, and then straight after that, maybe we're preparing for somebody who we who we beat. Um, and I think it's it's kind of the same for both cases. It's it's about finding um, that that kernel that that why are you doing this? What, what's the motivation? And if it's if it's if it's money, I don't think that's going to work because especially for Connor now, Connor Connor could walk away from this now and make a hell of a lot more money with a few TV appearances, a few sure. movies than he's making from prize fighting. That's that's for sure. So it's not that. So what is it? 
it's to prove mastery and and okay against Nate it's obviously to avenge a loss and to prove that we are better in those areas and then for Aldo I know I know uh, Connor and I'm sure there'll be some great press conferences and great <laughs> lead up but don't don't think for a moment Connor doesn't respect um, him as a martial artist and, and what he's achieved and what his skill set is but he also wants to show that his skill sets are higher his skill sets are better and I'm, I'm sure Aldo will have a more um, tempered uh, approach the next time. You know, I think the first time there was he he did certain things that I don't think he would do the second time. So we we know that it would be yes. I don't. It'd be very very hard to beat thirteen seconds the second time. Sure. But um, he will definitely want to show his dominance in that. That it wasn't a lucky punch, sort of like that saying: "The harder you train, the luckier you get." Um, so for 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 both cases. I think it, the, the motivation is the same. Let's show that we are the better martial artists. Let's show that we are, uh, we do train smarter and that we do prepare better and we we will go out and put on performances that put a period at the end of this sentence. There you go. Now, Connor's been known, and I, I, I love the quote and I believe it to be true, that he says, all day work. Like, work, 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 all day work. And he talks about it in the gym. And he makes it very clear that he's a man that's in the gym all day. So though he has the ability to live the lavish lifestyle, he doesn't seem like the guy who's actually truly living lavishly when he should be working. And he's probably working more than some of the guys that haven't earned the time off, per se. Is this is it accurate? Yeah, no, that's spot on. And it's, it's kind of like it's you won't get one way... Um, without the other and what I mean by that is um, the personality that drove him at the beginning hasn't changed he still is that personality and I'm sure he's gonna I'm sure he's gonna when he exits this um, this sport whatever he goes into he's gonna have you can't shake off your personality that's just the way you're born if he ends up running a management company or he ends up acting (laughs) wherever he ends up doing I kind of think it's like Schwarzenegger you know that's a guy that Moved over here, barely string a sense together, but could lift heavy things in his underwear, as, as one comedian said. <laughs> um, but that uh, that mental approach w- made him become a, a governor. Yeah, made him become a Hollywood star. You know, wh- whatever Schwarzenegger was going to do, he's going to be successful at because he had that. I'm sure he has that those principles we we, we keep talking about. And I know for Connor, it's the same that whatever he goes into, I'm, I'm almost as a fan waiting to see what's next for him. You know the, the fighting is great, and I'm enjoying this right now. But you know he's a young guy. I, I I know, and I know I'll have a lifelong friendship with him. So, 15, 20 years when he's got his kids coming over to my house, or, or vice versa. Be, what 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 was your day like today, Con? What the hell are you doing today? You know, and I'm sure whoever it is, he's going to be doing it at a high level. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting journey for sure. Gotcha, love it. Now, win or learn. What motivated you to do that? And how hard was that actually to put together, you know, tens of thousands of, of words that actually make sense and be able to redistribute that in a manner that you're actually happy with and proud of? Because it's, you know, we, we've written a little bit over here and it's a labor of love. It's, it's a hell of a lot more work than most people would understand. To think something is hard enough that actually makes sense. Now, to actually take those thoughts and put those into written word and have those edited and formatted and the whole process that goes into it, let's talk a little bit about kind of when you had the idea or and the opportunity and the, the ability to get this out there and then talk a little bit about the journey. 
Yeah, so I, I was I was writing for a website, uh, the42.ie. I still write for them, kind of monthly articles. And how it was working was uh, really uh, skilled. Uh, I always substitute uh, skill for talented. Skilled writer, like Paul Dollery, a good friend of mine, he would he basically come into the gym, we'd set the recorder down, we'd have an hour-long conversation, and then he would transcribe that into an article. So we, we start building up this relationship, and it was working well. And then kind of behind the scenes, he had pitched the idea of a book to uh, Penguin, a uh, big big, uh, big publisher. And then he came to me about the idea, of it, and I was, I was very hesitant. I thought, well... Feel a bit silly doing an autobiography. I'm still only kind of starting this, but the way he put it was that, and it was backed up by evidence, was that there's a lot of people that were interested in learning how the hell, how did it go from you and ten guys in a shed to you and thousands of guys in, in a massive unit with you know the success in the MMA world and so on. And I had, I got, I will, I was getting inundated with emails from all over the world saying. How does this happen? Like, where does this come about? And as much as you try to respond to everybody, there is only so many hours in the day, and sure. you can't do it. So he, he kind of, if you want to say, a little bit twist of my arm or sold the idea to me. Like, this is your chance to kind of just tell that story, and then you can point people in that direction. You know, if you are under pressure with all your training and your other commitments, and the eighteen-year-old is writing to you about wanting to become a fighter, or or the forty-eight-year-old is writing to you about a failed you know looking for a little bit of inspiration or looking for a little bit of different way of looking at things i can just point him in that direction now because there's a nice physical side to the book about uh dealing with losses and fights uh, and then it actually the book ends on the on what some people might see as a negative because it ends on the on the on the nate story but that to me was actually in some way almost a perfect thing that we're showing what we do with our losses and, uh, and august will show what we do with our losses um but then there's the more the the, the the sort of philosophical approach that has been the same for me in, in business or or in sport, that it's it's really what you do with your losses that's going to differentiate you from from the others rather than everybody can celebrate wins everybody everybody gets the odd break. I always loved uh, I, I was a big fan of Chael Sonnen about um there was something he said in, in one of his fights where I, I I can't remember the exact circumstances but it was like somebody had grabbed their shorts at a critical moment in the fight and that stopped him getting a move and he went on and he lost and people were like up in arms about this and afterwards in the press conference they were saying to him yeah but they, he, he grabbed the fence or he grabbed the shorts there and that probably cost you and he said no it didn't and actually I've done a lot worse than that in other fights you know so you're, you're sometimes going to get your breaks Yeah. you know I, I've had fights where I was at a close decision and you're not too sure one way or even you might be quite confident you're going to get and your opponent's hand gets raised but I don't, I don't forget for a moment that I also had fights where I was like, oh, I probably lost this one. And my guy's hands got raised. Yeah. So you're going to get your breaks along the way. Um, but really, it's the, it's the devastating losses or the, devast the you know, the, just something not working out for you. And, and what you did with that, that's going to be the difference. And um, I kind of forget the question now. I drifted off there. It, just going in, in really the journey of, of win or learn. Sorry, yeah. So yeah. I, I, wanted, I wanted the book to kind of hide that under a storytelling about 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 the different guys fighting and and the different uh you know my, my gyms on the way up and so, sometimes taking it five steps backwards and then and then going forward so but, but hide that underlying philosophy about i want people to start seeing losing as okay and to start seeing start seeing losing 
as a necessary step towards success. And I think maybe in society, in our society right now, we get a bit obsessive about winners, about, about winning. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's a healthy thing. I think we should drive ourselves to be the best we can be. But don't think for a moment that you're not going to have humiliating losses and setbacks along the way. But don't see that as a reason to quit. See that as an opportunity to learn. And you, and you said earlier in the show that if you're not losing and sometimes losing big, well, you're not risking big either. You're not pushing yourself. You're not challenging yourself. Therefore, you're not coming close to realizing your full potential, what you actually can be. And I think you need that feedback of your flaws or your shortcomings, you know, sometimes embarrassing and sometimes mm -hmm. very public. Mm -hmm. But you need that in order to go back and, like you said, look at the video and pick the three points that you need to improve on and get your ass back to the gym, yeah. back to the tool shed and start working again. Yeah. Well, I, I think physical training is such a great, uh, simple way of explaining, I think, how it works in anything. Like if you want to get, if you want to get gains if you want to... We all want them gains. Right? <laughs> you want to get bigger arms or bigger legs or anything physical like that, you must bring yourself to a state of stress. You must yeah. you must break down. Then you go through a period of adaptation, awesome. rest, and come back. So that's a very easy analogy to hold on to. But if you, if, you, if you lift weights that are easy for you for low reps forever, you might lift weights every day and never get anywhere yeah. because you didn't bring yourself to a state of failure. You didn't stress your body. We actually, our body actually gets better when it's stressed. It's actually a funny sentence if you say it. Like a lot of people, a lot of life teaching, you know, when I look at life coaches, how to avoid stress. Guess what? You don't avoid stress. And actually stress is a healthy thing. Yeah. In, in the physical gym, it's a healthy thing to stress your body as long as you have rest afterwards yeah. to allow adaptation and you put the proper fuel in, and then you go back and do it again. So you're, you're, you're breaking yourself down to get physically better, yeah. stronger every day. And it's the same with the mind. If you, are in, if you have your safe space, and you know that seems to be a phrase over in the States at the moment, university kids don't want to hear a bad word, or yeah. don't want to hear a, a, a contradicting argument. Yeah. There's, their mind is so fragile, they can't even hear something they don't agree with. No, that's not, that's not how we work. That's not how our physical muscles work. And I don't believe it's how our mind works. Our mind works better when we have stress. And, and, and that's a coach's job. It must be enough that it's, it's, it's heavy enough to cause adaptation, but not so heavy as to cause injury. And that's in the physical gym. And, and I believe that's in the mental side of things as well. And I've always taught combat sports does that better than anything. That it's quite safe. You know, it's safe to lose in a fight. It's safe to lose in the gym. But it's enough mental trauma it's enough mental stress that afterwards in, in your rest period there's adaptation you get stronger and then we the next time we do it we'll do a little bit more stress and um so i i, I think that's something that i i try to get my guys to run towards run towards stress both physically and mentally and run towards challenges that you might lose because that's what that, that's what will lead to adaptation that's what will lead to physical improvement mental improvement and, and uh, keeping your ego in check. Win or learn, much more philosophical. It's not how to punch and kick someone in the head until they're rendered unconscious. Not only. Not only. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that's kind of the backdrop, but really it, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that philosophical pursuit of, of excellence, of success in light of or in, in contrast to the challenges that you will inevitably see along the way and how to keep mentally framed and how to overcome that. Um, it, it, it's a, a great 
read for sure. It's something that every martial arts should have in their repertoire. Um, it's every um, businessman or woman should definitely have on their cell phone right now. It, it's a Kindle book. Again, number one bestseller on Amazon, internationally speaking. How cool is that? I mean, you're a fucking international bestselling author, John Kavanaugh. That's a weird sentence, isn't it? How, I'm going to yeah, introduce you. That's a weird sentence. Internationally bestselling author, Mr. I John I feel I should wear a scarf now and glasses. <laughs> but my, my mother gets a big kick out of it. You know, she can... Show the neighbors that see. I didn't raise an idiot. That's yeah. he wrote a book. <laughs> he wrote a book. <laughs> he wrote a book. He can put words together. <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's it's going to be life changing for those who read it because it's going to let people realize, I believe, that they're not alone in the challenge. They're not alone in the struggle, and actually, that's going to lift them to greater levels of success down yeah, the road. Yeah, as, as as long as and I, uh, this is something I will always come back to my fires as well is that the the, the catchy memes are great and and. Um, you know, I, I said it about Connor that, you know, the, the suits are cool and all that, but if there's not the work behind it, um, I, I think it was Denzel, was it Denzel Washington said that dreams without action remain dreams. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm where, I think we're going through, when I, when I look at the, the early, the late teens, early 20 guys in my gym, they're, they're sometimes better at posting about the tra- great training sessions. Yeah. And that, but I know what they're doing. Yeah, and and the the image is not matching the work rate, yep. and um, it's actually one of my one of my favorite things about following you on Instagram is that you're you 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 have your you have your phrases and 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 and, and they're great and I, I love following you, but then there's the five a.m. picture of you after a workout and stuff like that. So that so the work ethic is matching the image, and and I see and and. In, in some fighters, and I, I, I'm sure it's the same in all areas, where where the memes that they're putting out there, the 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 image, and then it's it's not matching the work ratio, uh, and that's something that Connor does to an obsessive level. People people have no. I I would challenge someone to keep up with him for a month, sure, just just for one month, keep up with him because I guess so many kids that write to me, oh, I'm the next comer, I'm going to do this, you won't believe what I'm doing. They come in the gym and. By Friday of week one, they're they're oh I won't be in tomorrow. I'm a bit sore, you know. So we 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 have to make sure we have to keep ourselves in check. That I think every now and again it's 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 not only it's a great help to read a book or 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 or, or a quote or, or something or to follow somebody um, that that inspires you. And we 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 all need those little kick up the butts uh, every now and again. But we we have to make sure and we have to be accountable and we have to be honest with ourselves. Are we putting in the the, the effort um, to to match that? You know, the true effort. And you know, Floyd Mayweather lives in Las Vegas, and he is notorious for his work ethic. See what I did there? Beautiful. You like that? I've been working <laughs> on his whole pocket. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. It just fit. No, but he really he is, and he will be seen. I know people that have seen him at two a.m. running. You yep. will actually see this man running, putting in that work when everybody else mm-hmm. is sleeping. All the money in the world. I yep. mean, just uh, again, a legend. Well, what's the parallel? This is a guy who's actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Say what you will about Floyd, but athletically, work ethic wise, there's a reason why he's the greatest boxer, you know, walking the planet today, and we can argue of all time. Yeah. And we can put Connor into a similar category. It's the work ethic. It's not the talent. It's not not the privilege. Surely, with a guy like Connor, even Floyd coming up. Um, I mean, you could say it's it could be the coach. You know, I'll, I'll put that out there. <laughs> um, but it's the work ethic. It's this young man to get in there and and sacrifice and struggle. I you know I'll use the term grind, although 
that grind sounds negative, but there's a positive outlook or a positive connotation to grind also. You know, Cormier always uses the embrace the grind. There's that mentality. You want to embrace that. You want to embrace the suffering. You want to embrace the discomfort. You want to embrace the the early mornings and the late nights. You want to embrace the sacrifice because that's the only way to become more than average. Stress leads to adaptation. Stress. There we go. There we go. Well, John, I know we you've been so gracious with your time today. We could we could go on and on. I think hopefully we'll be able to get you back here pretty soon. Um, Coach John Cavanaugh, Win or Learn, available right now on Amazon on your iPhone, on your Android, at Google Play. Download his book right now. It is worth it. It's, I can't even say. Don't even buy my damn books. Buy Coach <laughs> Kavanaugh's books and really help change your life. It, it's just a, it's a great read. It's a great story. There are so many great takeaways um, from this, and uh, you know I, I can't say enough about it, and also about you as a coach. So uh, I'm really honored to have you in here. I'm honored that our relationship is growing, getting to know you more um, as, a, as a man, not just as a, as a professional and uh you know I, I look forward to great things for you for your team and it's fun to watch your growth because i look back i'm like you get it john because it, it motivates me and everybody out there to see this this young man who had a 400 square foot facility is now one of the the most renowned coaches on the planet with one of the most esteemed fight teams and facilities in the world that is not lost on me i love that, that that's the arnold schwarzenegger story right there who so who knows where john cavanaugh is going to be five years from now right Governor of California. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. So everyone, thank you so much for listening and taking the time. We appreciate it. And remember, don't count calories. Make calories count. Boo. The Mike LJ Show.